You're listening to Grace Saves All, the podcast which exists at the spiritual intersection of Christianity and universal salvation. In this podcast, we will be exploring an ancient and modern approach to Christianity, which affirms both that grace saves alone and that grace goes to all. And now, here is David Artman, author of Grace Saves All, The Necessity of Christian Universalism. Hello again, everyone. We have reached the point now where I can offer a summary of my conclusions about Christian Universalism. And I want to begin with a quote I appreciate from Robin Perry. Perry makes the following pertinent observation. A doctrine of hell needs to make good sense in its place in the biblical meta-narrative, the grand story that runs from Genesis to Revelation. I shall argue that when located in the plot line of Scripture, a universalist doctrine of hell makes good sense. This quote from Perry is from the beginning of Perry's essay, A Universalist View which appeared in the second edition of Zondervan's Four Views on Hell, edited by Preston Sprinkle. What I appreciate about Perry's quote is how it lifts our eyes to the big picture that's involved in the discussion about Christian universalism. It encourages us to think about what Perry calls the biblical metanarrative, the grand story that runs from Genesis to Revelation. And it goes along with one of the main conclusions I've reached about spirituality. And it's just this. We all live inside a story. We all live inside a narrative of some kind. And how we understand that story will determine how we live life and what we think about its meaning. Now, many assume that the Christian story can only be told with some kind of sad ending where some number of us don't make it, maybe most of us. But there is also an inclusive way of telling the story in which everyone finally does make it, because God desires nothing more than to be with all of us until we are all finally well. When our spirituality is rooted in a story in which God is ultimately victorious with every one of us, then we can come to God in just the same way as a child who has learned to completely trust their loving parents. Then it all becomes an exercise in grace. It all becomes about being strongly drawn to a God of perfect love. And this is the story Christian Universalism tells. The inclusive Christian Universalist approach, as I call it, tells a good story of a good God who is the perfect parent to all. The story it tells is the story of a God who is rescuing all of us in Christ and who will never give up until we are all safely home. Now let's think about some of the other less hopeful ways the Christian story is told. The exclusive Calvinist approach, as I call it, tells the story of a God who does not sincerely desire the salvation of all. It's the story of a God who never even grants the possibility of salvation to some. When our spirituality is rooted in this exclusive story, we live believing that only a limited group of elect people have access to salvation. We wonder about the character of God. Why would God condemn the non-elect when they never even had a chance at salvation? They were born with no hope of it. They died with no hope of it. And then they are punished by being forever rejected through annihilation or eternal torment. If we live in this story, then a part of us wonders whether we ourselves will finally be counted among the elect, even as we try our best to live out an authentic life of faith. In the exclusive Calvinist approach, there's a story being told, but it doesn't seem like a very good one. There's also a story being told in the transactional Arminian approach, as I call it. In this story, 
God only gives so much help, so much grace to each person. And then God finally leaves the outcome in their hands. The help God gives by grace is absolutely essential, for there would be no possibility of salvation without it. But God, being all-knowing, is aware that the help given by grace will not be effective in some or many or perhaps even most cases. God's rebellious children will inevitably use their freedom to fall to their doom. Born into a world in which their failure is foreknown, they have no more hope of salvation than do the non-elect in the exclusive Calvinist approach. If we live in this story, it causes us to wonder about the character of God and to wonder whether we ourselves will finally be counted among the spiritually acceptable. Now, the story the transactional Arminian approach tells may initially seem to be better than the story the exclusive Calvinist approach tells. But once we give it more thorough consideration, it becomes apparent that the doom of the non-saved in the Arminian approach ends up being just as inevitable as the doom of the non-elect in the Calvinist approach. As David Bentley Hart astutely observes, when considering the fate of those not saved in either the predestined Calvinist approach or the free will Arminian approach, quote, we find, curiously enough, that absolutely nothing changes, unquote. It turns out that both approaches tell troubling stories which not only cause tremendous spiritual anxiety, but also ultimately call into question the goodness of an all-powerful and all-knowing God. Now, as we've seen, hopeful inclusivism, or hopeful universalism as some call it, offers a vast improvement over the way the Christian story is usually told. It allows for a strong hope, even a firm conviction, that God will ultimately save all. In this approach, everyone is included, and God continues to pursue lost souls after death. Hopeful inclusivists can even assert their belief in the ultimate redemption of all, but with the caveat that it can't be asserted as doctrine. This approach has the advantage that it doesn't generate near the level of controversy that Christian universalism does. It's not associated with the dark cloud of heresy, which was unfairly put over Christian universalism because of the efforts of a misguided Roman emperor and the confusing results of a medieval church council. And so hopeful inclusivism or hopeful universalism is a safe harbor for those who believe that a universal salvation is incredibly likely, even infinitely probable, but who cannot affirm it without some amount of reserve. Hopeful inclusivism, while not being Christian universalism per se, uses many of the same arguments, maintains a very strong hope, and affirms the full incorporation of humanity into Christ. But hopeful inclusivism still leaves us with a problem to resolve. How are we to understand a story which allows even the remote possibility that there might be even some, or even just one, an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God will not be able to rescue? God is all-knowing, God would have known in advance about this problem. If God is all-powerful, nothing would prevent God from fixing the problem. If God is all-loving, God would not let his children get into bad situations beyond which God could not rescue them in the first place. If it is the case that some might not be saved, then it's also the case that God might bring people into existence, all the while knowing of their inevitable doom. Hopeful inclusivism is an understandable effort to take a full account of human freedom and to leave room for mystery with regard to whether or not all will finally be saved. It raises reasonable concerns that our relationship with God should be one that we choose. But the consequence of hopeful universalism is that it leaves open the possibility of some never being saved. It means that potentially God allows God's own children to make the most insane choice of all, to terminate a glorious eternal existence in perfect love over a misunderstanding about who they are and about who God is. 
And this creates a problem for the story. Because if even one is finally lost, or even might be finally lost, this inevitably subtracts from the absolute goodness of God. And so I reach my final conclusion. The only story that really works is the one Christian universalism tells. If, as a Christian, I am proposing belief in an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-good God, this requires me to clearly affirm an unreserved Christian universalism, what Thomas Talbot refers to as a necessary universalism, in which, quote, given the nature of God's love, wisdom, and power, it is logically impossible that His grace should fail to reconcile all sinners to Himself, unquote. I also find myself compelled to agree with David Bentley Hart's assessment that if Christianity, taken as a whole, is indeed an entirely coherent and credible system of belief, then the universalist understanding of its message is the only one possible, unquote. Put simply, if God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-good, then God must also be all-saving. The inclusive Christian universalist approach is the only one that fully safeguards the goodness of God. It tells the grandest story. It presents a God absolutely worthy of our highest devotion. It successfully resolves the major theological and philosophical problems which arise with belief in an all-good, all-powerful, all-knowing God. The problem of evil is finally resolved because God allows no evil to take place which is not finally turned towards the good. Hell is made comprehensible because hell is not abandonment to never-ending torment or to annihilation, but God's final necessary tactic regretfully taken in order to bring about the person's full restoration. This spirituality is rooted in the utter goodness of God and in each person's God-given acceptance and inclusion. In this approach, spiritual growth is not for the purpose of earning salvation or for the purpose of increasing God's love towards us. It's all about learning to trust the God of perfect love who would never leave us abandoned in the first place. In this approach, God never brings anyone into existence whom God cannot also bring to a good end. Any evil or sorrow God allows into anyone's life is also something God will ultimately be able to redeem and make right. In this approach, we can trust there is absolutely no darkness and no sadness which God cannot finally turn into light and joy. This approach understands grace to be the completely reliable saving presence of God in the lives of every single person. And so, we all live inside a story, inside a narrative of some kind. And how we understand this story shapes the way we understand ourselves and God and the meaning of life. What if we understood ourselves to be living inside a story in which everyone finally comes to a good ending, in which every wrong is righted, in which nobody gets away with anything? in which everyone learns their lessons, in which everyone falls short, in which everyone finds faith, in which everyone is healed, in which everyone's wills are truly set free, and in which everyone is finally saved. What if this is the story in which we are all living? What if grace means that God fully accepts each of us in Christ even before we each fully accept Christ in us? If God really is this good, and if the end, God finally does save every last one of us. Now that would be a good story, because in that story, grace saves all. Thank you for joining us in this episode of Grace Saves All. 
You can help spread the word by sharing this podcast with others and by giving it a rating on iTunes. If you want to find out more about David or if you'd like to leave him a message, go to his website, davidartman.net. In the meantime, let's work together to help a hurting world know about the greatest news ever announced.